Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. As I'm sure everybody's heard, J-PAL has swooped in with a half percentage rate cut to save the markets. Is this going to be enough? We're going to find out and discuss it here. We have Robinhood users that were left out of the market Monday. And I'll just say that they are, for the most part, I think I could describe it as mildly upset. They're just a little upset by the fact they could not log into their brokerage for an entire trading day. They continue to have troubles on Tuesday. So this is an ongoing problem with Robinhood. And then we have the coronavirus. Doctors are warning against it. It continues to spread in the U.S. We're going to try to make sense of this as well. So obviously a lot to get to. There's a lot of news to get to as well as my portfolio. I'm going to be going over everything that I've done in the past week. So this has been a very volatile, a very high volume week where a lot of action has happened in the marketplace. There's a lot of buying and selling going on. Now, I didn't do what I normally do, which is just slowly dollar cost average into the market. That's normally what I do. I just feed money in. I have M1's algorithm take care of the deposits. What I did this week was a little bit different. I actually went through and picked different companies that I wanted to specifically accumulate shares in. These individual buys where I pick up one company here for a thousand bucks, one here for a thousand dollars, one here for 500, another one here for 500. I put a lot of money into three separate companies. And I'm going to go over the reasons that I like them, how I think they fit in with the current threats that are in the market, as well as they offer really good value for dividend investors. So I'll be going over that in this video, as well as responding to some emails and comments. Now, first of all, let's go ahead and talk about the rate cuts, because this is the first time that the Fed has cut rates between Fed meetings since 2008. So this is a a pretty big thing. They usually don't do this. They usually wait until they have their scheduled meetings, and then they would announce there that they're either cutting or maintaining or raising rates. So here's Jay announcing the rate cut. The Federal Open Market Committee announced a one-half percentage point reduction in the target range for the federal funds rate, bringing that range to one to one and a quarter percent. My colleagues and I took this action to help the U.S. economy keep strong in the face of new risks to the economic outlook. So he says there that he's cutting the rates by half a percentage down from one and a half to two percent to one to one and a half percent. And then he also goes on to explain the reasons, the new risks of why he's cutting the rates. At the time of our FOMC meeting in January, prospects for continued economic growth remained favorable. Since then, the spread of the coronavirus has brought new challenges and risks. The virus has afflicted many communities around the world, and our thoughts and prayers go out to those who've been harmed. The outbreak has also disrupted economic activity in many countries and has prompted significant movements in financial markets. The virus and the measures that are being taken to contain it will surely weigh on economic activity, both here and abroad, for some time. Obviously, it's the coronavirus. So he goes on to explain that the Fed wants the economy to maintain its strength, to maintain its employment while we're fighting the coronavirus. And he says that obviously the Fed isn't the one that's going to be fixing this issue. It's going to be the healthcare industry and healthcare professionals. But the Fed doesn't want to be in the way. They don't want to have a staggering economy with staggering growth while we're trying to fight off this virus. So that's his reasoning behind it. Now, you might remember this graph here that I showed in the previous episode. I talked about a lot of the different negative risks to the market, and one of them is that the Fed does not have a lot of ammunition to work with. If you look at this, this is the federal funds rate historically. In 2006, it was at 5%. 
Then it came down to virtually zero, which it seems to be headed to right now. If I go in and I zoom in a little bit closer to where we are, you can see that in 2016, we started to increase the federal funds rate all the way up to 2.4%, which isn't too high, but since then, we've had one reason or another to cut their rate. It's been sitting at 1.5%. That was a target 15 to 2%. Now this is going to be dropped to 1% to 1.5%. So you're going to see every single high-yield savings account, every brokerage cash account, all of those are going to be dropped down quite a bit. Robinhood has already dropped theirs quite a bit. So other brokerages will do the same thing over the course of the next couple of weeks. You'll also see mortgage rates go down and everything that corresponds with this federal funds rate. Now, typically a rate cut like this is something that's stimulatory to the stock market. It makes money easier to get for businesses, easier to service debt, has a lot of benefits to, to different businesses. But you can see that the markets here, overall today, the S&P 500 is down about 3%. So the markets weren't so impressed by this. In fact, if I look at all the different indexes here, we have the S&P 500 down 2.75%. We have the Dow Jones down 2.73 and the NASDAQ down 2.99%. So everything still ended up in the red despite the Fed cutting rates. Now, what does this mean for me? What have I done in the past week, in the past month with my portfolio? I've purchased a lot of stock. That's what I've done in the past week. So typically my normal schedule is I deposit about $500 a week. Over the past eight days, I've put in about $5,000. So I've picked different companies that I want to buy that I think are at really good value right now, and I've purchased a lot of shares in those companies. Now, I'm going to continue to do that if the market continues to go down these big numbers, 3% a day. I'll be aggressively buying more and more stock, and I don't care how low it goes. If the market continues to go down to 50%, I'll keep buying more and more of these companies. That is an opportunity that you typically get once in a lifetime. If you were able to invest in 2009, when everything was at rock bottom there, that's what made a lot of millionaires today. People that started investing early after things fell. So when you see these numbers, these great companies go way down in valuations, that is when you should be investing more aggressively. That's when you should be putting more money into the market, even with the risk of them continuing to fall. Factor that in, that most likely the market will continue to fall if it's trending downwards. So I know that there's a good chance it will continue to fall. It might fall another 10 or 15 or 20%. The same thing will continue to happen. I'll buy more shares of it. I look at this graph here that I keep track of my passive income the growth of this income stream over time, and it is trending in the opposite direction. It doesn't really matter what direction the market goes. As long as my companies continue to pay their dividends, my dividend income is going to go up. Now, I look at all these companies that have gone down in value, and that can be scary for some people. Seeing all this red, it's a little bit frightening. But I look at if these companies are actually struggling. Are any of these companies paying less in dividends? Are they paying a dime less in dividends than they were six months ago? The answer is no. Not a single one of the companies that I own have cut or slashed their dividend. In fact, quite the opposite. If I go to my alerts here, Home Depot declared on February 25th that they're increasing the dividend payout by 10.3% per share. So you're getting a 10.3% pay raise. Next Era Energy, another one that I own, a utility company, is increasing theirs by 12%. T. Rowe Price is increasing their dividend payout by 18.4%. So every share I own of this company, now I'm earning 18.4% more in dividends for every share. That is pretty incredible. So it's quite the opposite. Instead of these companies paying less in dividends, they're paying more in dividends. So even though the market has dipped, the amount that I'm earning in passive income continues to go up. This line, it'll continue to go up regardless of what the market decides to do. 
Now, like I said, there's three companies that I've put a little bit of money in over the past eight days. I put about five to $6,000 into these three companies, so a couple thousand each. And I'll go over each of them and try to explain the reason that I picked these ones out of a lot of companies to start building bigger positions in. The first one is Disney. Now, Disney is a company that for dividend investors, it's a little bit difficult to start putting money in because it only has a 1.5% yield, which is lower than most companies. But this is a company that I think is really well priced right now. If I go into it, the PE ratio of the company is 19, 19.2 PE ratio. That is very low. Compare that to other companies with big streaming services. That's a low PE ratio. Disney, I think, has a really diverse business with a large margin of safety. And if we go and look at Disney's stock over the past five years, this stock has been flat for so long. It's just been up and down, completely flat. From 2015 to 2019, it's moved 4% over a five-year period. And then comes along the announcement that they have their streaming service and that it was a success. Look what happened to the stock here. It went up pretty high, 30%. It's gone up even higher since then. And then we had the coronavirus, the fears of the parks shutting down, the fears of business struggling, and it went down back to $116 a share on par of where it was before this big spike. Disney's right back where it has been five years ago. Five years ago, Disney was not the same company that it is today. It has a new streaming service. It has ESPN+. Plus. It has a lot more franchises. It's in a better situation than it was five years ago. Yet the stock remains forgotten within the stock market. While everything is racing up, this one remains the same. Now, aside from them offering what I think is very good value for purchasing the company, they have a low P.E. ratio. They also have an extremely safe dividend. Simply Safe Dividend scores it at a 99, which is the highest rating they give for dividend safety. So there's really nothing that could affect this dividend. The only way that it would be cut is if management just decided to cut it. Without financial reason, they'd just say, hey, we're going to cut it anyways, even though we don't need to. That's the really the only risk for cutting their dividend. They have a 32% payout ratio. So they have more than enough money to reinvest in their business while paying shareholders this very safe dividend. And I'll include a little bit of the CFRA research on this. They rate it a buy currently. They say in their analysis that part of this is the strong pipeline of content that Disney has. They say they have the newly acquired Fox assets, Meanwhile, we see the company systemically pivoting to a direct-to-consumer strategy after its seemingly successful recent U.S. launch of Disney Plus streaming offering to complement the ESPN and Hulu offering. So they're saying that Disney is doing a good strategy. They're moving to these online direct-to-consumer platforms that really have a high scalability, high profit margins for Disney. And I think that Disney is doing a good job with this. They say the risks to the recommendation and target include a sharp slowdown in global consumer spending, ads, theme parks, home videos, or accelerated ESPN subscriber loss. So that's why I put an additional $1,000 into Disney. It's a good company. I think it has a great future. It has a safe dividend, and I think it's at a good valuation right now. Company number two that I'm picking up more shares in is in the telecom sector here. It is AT&T. So I own about 117 shares of this, $4,259 worth. I increased it a bit because of a couple different reasons. First of all, AT&T is yielding about 5.6%. That is a pretty high yield. They have a 57% payout ratio, which continues to go down. So they're paying off their debt, they're paying other things, and their dividend payout ratio continues to go down, which is a good thing. That's the direction you want it to go. Their dividend history is very good. 
It illustrates a picture that they're committed to their dividend policy of at least maintaining and slightly increasing their dividend over time. So this is a big commitment for AT&T. They do not want to cut their dividend. As far as the dividend safety, Simply Safe dividends rates at a 65. I think that AT&T's dividend is very safe. They've also expressed in an agreement with Elliott Management, a hedge fund that bought a large stake in AT&T, they came to an agreement that AT&T is going to do a lot of share buybacks, that they're not going to do any other major acquisitions, and they're going to focus paying down their debt. So all of those, I think, are very good things that they agreed to. Now, over the past month, this company has fallen in price about 8%. So if I look at this, it's down 5.57% right now. I picked up some shares when it was down 8.38%. So it has fallen quite a bit. I think that it's a decent time to buy shares right now at $36. But if this continues to keep going down to 35 or 34 or $33, I'll buy shares more aggressively of this company. The CFRA report says that it's a buy currently. They say that they view the Time Warner deal positively. They note here it increased their cash flow. They like the content on AT&T. They say it's competitive premium content, which is part of the reason I think that this is a good buy because I think HBO will be very competitive. They know 170 million direct-to-consumer relationships, ad technology platforms, and high-speed networks. T announced that it will sell its wireless and wireline operations to Puerto Rico and the U.S., Virgin Islands, to Liberty Latin America for $1.95 billion in cash, which will be used to further reduce its debt levels. So I like this. I like a company that has high amounts of cash flow, that's paying down its debts, that has a pretty high dividend with the moderate payout ratio. This is a situation in a company that I like. And the fact that it went down 8% over the past month is going to make it so that I'm going to be putting a little bit more focus on it. They note the risks here are mostly increased competition from the Sprint and T-Mobile merger and worse than projected wireless service executions. So those are the, the risks that they mentioned. And number three, the last stock that I've picked up during this downturn has been in the healthcare sector, it is Merck, ticker symbol MRK. This is a company that I like for a lot of reasons. First of all, they have a 3% dividend yield, which is pretty good in today's environment of low rates. They have a 42% payout ratio, which makes their dividend very safe according to Simply Safe Dividends. So they have enough money to continue paying their dividends, even if this environment gets pretty tough. Even if we enter a bear market or a recession, Merck will continue to be able to pay its dividend. Their dividend history shows a commitment to paying their dividend and raising it when they're able to. You can see that they had trouble with their profitability for a number of years. So they had a pretty stagnant pipeline of drugs. A lot of these pharmaceutical companies are dependent on the different drugs and treatments and products that they are able to get through testing. So they had a pretty stagnant pipeline. They had a lot of drugs that they owned that went generic, but now they have a pretty strong pipeline and drugs that they think will be able to take them into the future with profitability. The CFRA recommendation on this one is a strong buy, five out of five stars. They say in part, we expect Merck to see material acceleration in revenue growth through 2021 on robust demand for Keytruda and a favorable patent and marketing exclusivity setup. Annual revenue averaged 2% during 2014 to 2019, as the period saw three former top drugs undergo major sales declines due to generic and biosimilar entry. Looking forward, we see a favorable patent setup with no key brands losing market exclusivity until 2022 and Merck's growth engine, Keytruda, on patent until 2028. Now they go on to explain what Keytruda is. Hopefully you don't have any personal experience with it because it is a treatment for cancer. They say, we expect Keytruda to continue growing rapidly on further uptake in existing cancer indications like lung, melanoma, and kidney, as well as potentially for longer term approvals in major indications such as breast and colon. And with Keytruda's tremendous success now, paired with more stable revenue in the rest of Merck's portfolio, we see a healthy runway for double digit earning per share growth through at least 2021. 
Now, they do note a couple risks in investing in Merck. They say one of them is failures in their pipeline. So if a lot of the drugs that they're developing and they're putting through these clinical trials, if they aren't able to make it to market. So if a lot of their pipeline fails, and if we have added regulation on drug prices. So that is going to be a very big topic in the upcoming elections is regulation on drug pricing. So companies like Merck and Pfizer, these ones are under fire when those discussions come up. These are usually the ones that feel the pressure of regulated drug pricing. But I think that a lot of those concerns are overstated. I think that Merck will continue to be profitable. When I see a company that has a low payout ratio, that has a 3% dividend yield, that has a dividend safety score of 99, and is in an industry that's not going to really be affected by the coronavirus, this is something that I want to pick up right now. So there you go. There's three companies that I've been buying more of over the past eight days. Now, there's a couple other companies that I'm looking at. If you want to have up-to-date information on every single purchase that I'm making, exactly what companies I'm looking at and the analysis behind it, you can consider joining the Patreon. There's a link in the description of this video. After joining that, you get access to this Discord channel where I post all that information. On top of that, there's already a lot of investors here. It's been a pretty fun discussion over the past couple months. So that's something you can consider joining. And of course, it helps support the show. So I appreciate everybody that does. Okay, let's jump into some news here. This was a clip that was passed around a lot of social media. So this made a lot of buzz. It's a New York City ER doctor, and he's explaining on CNBC why he is concerned about the coronavirus. He says that the U.S. is not doing enough tests. At my fingertips, I still have to call the Department of Health. I still have to make my case plead to test people. This is not good. We know that there are 88 cases in the United States. There are going to be hundreds by middle of the week. There's going to be thousands by next week. So and this is a testing people, issue. What do you do with people in the So he's warning that there's going to be thousands of cases of this next week, which is already freaking a lot of people out. We have stores like Costco that are being cleaned out of all of their toilet paper, their water, all their basic household essentials, people are going in and buying as much of it as they can. So Costco has been insanely busy over the past week as people have been trying to load up on basic household goods. So I still remain cautiously optimistic. I think that there is room for the stock market to fall quite a bit more as the coronavirus continues to spread. But at the same time, I keep in mind that this is temporary. The coronavirus is not going to be around forever. It might be here for a few months, maybe a year, but it's not going to be headline news for the next 10 years. These companies that I'm building holdings in, I want to own them for the next 10 years, far longer than the coronavirus is going to be news that we focus on. Next up, we have Robinhood. This is a company that, in my recent memory, I don't think I've ever come across a time where I've seen a company have a worse week. So something that's self-inflicted that they caused where it leads to this bad of a week. During Monday, which was a very high volume day, a lot of trading going on, Robinhood users couldn't even use their platform. They're locked out of their brokerage for the majority of the day. In fact, I believe almost the entire trading day. It says here the technical problems took up most of the trading day and were not fixed before close. Robinhood clients missed out on the biggest one day point gain in the Dow Jones industrial average in history. They say, quote, we are experiencing a system-wide outage. We are working to resolve this issue as soon as possible. The company said in a message to clients on Monday, with an hour left in the trading day, Robinhood updated clients saying the issue has been identified and a fix is being implemented. Now, obviously, this goes without saying that this left Robinhood users mildly unhappy, a little bit unsatisfied with their service. Hundreds of comments of people saying they're leaving the service, that they're completely furious with it. We have a Twitter account with 6,000 plus followers that is called Robinhood Class Action. They're trying to start a class action lawsuit against Robinhood. And then we have some of our own viewers here of the Joseph Carlson show. This is Josh showing how he's dealing with Robinhood. Here's a video he tweeted at me. Thank you. 
for the years of wonderful service, Robin Hood. But Weeble and M1 will be getting all of my money from here on in. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry, but he's literally taking a blowtorch to the Robin Hood debit card. Thank you for the years of wonderful service, Robin Hood. So there we are. Obviously, people aren't happy about this. I don't use Robinhood. I've never used it before, but I think I would be pretty upset with this, especially if I was in a position where I needed to close out of positions or open up new positions, and I couldn't do so. Monday was a huge change in the stock market, and Robinhood really dropped the ball there. Now, there's a lot of people speculating as to the reason that Robinhood went down for the whole day. What caused this to happen? One Twitter user here has a theory that gained a lot of traction. This was posted around and shared online all over the place. And he believes that it's because they didn't program correctly for Leap Year. So that's his theory. Now, he has a screenshot where he's gone into the Robinhood web application and he's opened up the console log. And in it, you can see six different errors that it's thrown. Each of these are the application trying to connect to an API and it's plugging in the incorrect date. So it should be plugging in March 2nd. Instead, it's trying to look for March 3rd. This, of course, would throw an error. I think that this could be it, but I think it's unlikely because this is something where I think it might take 45 minutes for them to fix, not eight hours. This shouldn't take the entire day to fix, maybe two hours at most, but I can't imagine an incorrectly put in date causing them to be down for the entire day. That's just very difficult for me to believe. I will say from a programming perspective, dates are pretty obnoxious to work with. Anything with time, calendars, dates, you have to deal with time zones. You have to deal with things like leap year. It's very difficult to test because you have to wait certain amounts of time to actually test it live. So it is something annoying to deal with, but it should not cause issues like this. Now, Robinhood responded by saying that Leap Year had nothing to do with this. In fact, on a TechCrunch article here, the two CEOs explain what really happened. It says, it wasn't the Leap Year, a coding blip, or a hack that caused Robinhood's massive outages yesterday and today that left customers unable to trade stocks. Instead, the co-CEOs write that the cause of the outage was stress on our infrastructure, which struggled with unprecedented load that in turn led to thundering herd effect, triggering a failure of our DNS system. So that's too bad. Obviously, Robinhood was not ready for this type of volume being traded in one day. Their system was stressed, they couldn't handle it, and it caused something that now is going to be a permanent black eye on their company. They're going to have to do a lot to get past this. And for some customers, their reputation is permanently damaged. So this is something I don't like to see. Robinhood was very innovative. They brought in free trades when nobody else was really doing that. And they caused a lot of bigger brokerages to think twice about their antiquated business models. So I want this company to be successful. I think that they need to do a lot of work to make sure this never happens again. And they're going to have to do a lot of community outreach to make their customers happy. They mentioned that they're giving away three months of Robinhood Gold Premium. So that's about $15 worth of value. That's a start there. But for some people, that's not going to be enough. They need to make sure that their system is very stable going forward. Okay, let's get to some emails. Joseph at josephcarlsonshow.com. The email address is joseph at josephcarlsonshow.com. Hi, Joseph. I hope you are well. First off, I'd like to say that I'm a huge fan of your channel and have been a subscriber on my main account since around the 15k mark. Congratulations on all your success. It's truly deserved as your videos are what allowed me to feel comfortable enough and knowledgeable enough to begin my own investing. This is not a plug, but I even started my own YouTube channel with health-related take on your model. I did my very best not to be a copycat, haha. There are actually some pretty egregious ones out there, as I'm sure you are aware. There's even one guy who managed to copy your thumbnails so precisely that I sometimes make the mistake of clicking on them. In any case, I was hoping to get your take on Robinhood's recent troubles. Is there any hope for the long-term stability or trust? 
I am debating whether or not I want to switch my brokerage to M1 or just something that I can be relied upon. It was beyond alarming when I couldn't access my account. Is this sort of thing normal or common with brokerages or am I just completely ignorant or is it as bad as it looks? Keep up the great work. Well, I appreciate the email, Kevin. I have had a lot of people email in and message in with the same thing, pointing out there's a lot of copycats of the series right now. So there's a lot of people doing the M1 finance, dividend investing, passive income, portfolio updates every single week, that type of thing. Now, this is something I think that's to be expected. Just for some background, I created this channel a year ago. So February 7th of 2019, a little bit over a year ago, I uploaded my first video. At the time, none of my decisions of creating the channel were based off of what other YouTubers were doing. So I never looked around and tried to see, hey, this person's getting a lot of views doing this, or this person's getting a lot of views doing this. My goal was pretty simple. I wanted to create something new that was the type of content that I would look forward to viewing. So that was the basic premise of it. I wanted to create the type of show that I would look forward to viewing. Now, we've gone through a year of this and the channel has grown substantially over that amount of time. Now we're getting the type of viewership and engagement that rivals channels with five times the amount of subscribers. So anytime that that type of thing happens, when you see that type of growth, it puts a big spotlight on you and a lot of people want to share in that success. So I think that that's something completely normal. We have a lot of YouTubers that do this full-time looking for content to create and their job counts on it. YouTube is their full-time work, so they're going to do whatever they think will get the most views. But I will say, as far as I'm concerned, the direction that I'm going, I'm not going to base any decisions of the future direction of my channel based off of what other YouTubers are doing, based off of what the current trends are, what's popular, what gets the most views. So that's not going to be something that I factor into what I'm doing with my YouTube. In fact, now I know that a lot of people might find this hard to believe, but I don't watch a lot of other YouTubers' financial content. So it's not that I don't think that they make great content. I think there's great content creators out there, but I have a very busy day. I work a full-time job that's a pretty stressful job on top of having a family and creating content all the time. So doing this in and of itself sucks up almost all of my free time, leaves me very little time to even focus on what other people are doing. So the type of content you're going to get here is what I have on my mind, the type of things that I'm doing, the direction that I'm going, the way that I invest is based off of what I think is the best way to invest, not what I believe will get the most views. Now to answer your question on Robinhood's recent troubles, is there any hope for their long-term stability or trust? You're debating whether or not to switch your brokerage to M1 or something that can be relied upon. Uh, I obviously like M1. They haven't had this issue where they're down the whole day. They've had times where they're down maybe a half hour, but not a whole day. I've never had that type of issue. So I think that any type of brokerage like Fidelity or Schwab, any of these big ones, you're probably not going to have these type of interruptions. So that's something that you can almost guarantee yourself by switching to those. But I will say, is there any hope for Robinhood's long-term stability? I definitely think so. As these brokerages get more mature, they're going to get more stable. So Robinhood's going to learn a lot from this, and I doubt they're going to repeat the same thing. They know that they're going to deteriorate trust if they continue to do the same thing and have their brokerage continually go down. So I think that they'll invest in the type of infrastructure that can handle really high volatility going forward. Sergio says, great show. Been following your investment style and enjoy watching all of your episodes. Do you think the fact that your dad already owns properties has something to do with your decision of owning REITs instead of actual real estate? Maybe the possibility of someday inheriting a property gives you more confidence to try other types of investments. I know that you mentioned before that you do not want to deal with tenants and requires a lot of works that REITs don't. I personally would not like to deal with tenants either. However, I'm concerned that I might be missing out on a better investment opportunity. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Sergio. 
So I think this is a good question. You say maybe the possibility of someday inheriting a property gives you more confidence to try other types of investments. That might play into it a little bit, but I don't think much. What I'm trying to do is based off of the investments I want to make right now to make the most money. That's what I'm basing them off of. I could go buy real estate right now. That's something I could do. The reason that I don't really factor in other people's money that I might inherit someday, I don't try to factor in social security. I don't factor in trying to inherit stuff from my parents. Because first of all, none of that is guaranteed. My parents, it could be 20 or 30 years until I get anything from them. That's a long time period. A lot can happen in that amount of time. And I have two older brothers and two older sisters. So whatever they have left will be divvied up between a lot of people. And there's no counting on what I'll actually receive during that time. So this isn't something that I try to factor in. I don't think it would be smart to factor it into my current investments, counting on anything like that in the future. The bigger reason of why I have preferred REITs over actual real estate right now is for one, they have a very low bar of entry. So you can put $20 into a REIT. You can't do that with actual real estate. Two, they don't take any amount of time. I know if I go buy real estate, that's going to take up some time, whether I'm managing it personally or whether I hire a company that manages it, that I need to manage that company. Either way, that's more management. When I buy a REIT, I don't have any management there. I'm just investing in a company that they have all of that taken care of. So time is a big reason. And like I said before, I don't have a lot of spare time in my day. Now, Another reason why is because real estate around my area is very expensive. It doesn't cash flow a lot right now. People are bidding up the prices like crazy. So maybe if we see a huge decline in the real estate market around my area, I'd probably pick up a property. I'd probably go put a down payment on one and pick one up if I thought I was getting a particularly good deal. But I've been checking Zillow. I've been looking around and everything is pretty expensive right now. So Sergio, your situation might be different. Around your area, there might be better investment opportunities for physical real estate than there is around my area. So you have to look at where you are, the situation you're in, if you have time to manage this place and the effort to put into it, and you have a little bit of upfront capital to put a down payment on it, you might be in a good situation to pick up a real estate property. So I'm not suggesting nobody should do that. Just so far, it hasn't made sense in my specific situation, but I'm open to it. So there might be an episode I do where I say, hey, I purchased this place. It came up. It was a good deal, and I took advantage of it. That could be something that happens in the future. I'm not ruling it out. But right now, my main focus has been building up my dividend portfolio. Jensen says, hey, Joseph, as always, I love the show. Your last few episodes were exactly what I was looking for. Well, Jensen, I made those episodes specifically with you in mind. So that's that's what I did as I thought... What does Jensen want for these episodes? And I I went ahead and made them that way. Now you say, one question I had is which day is best to deposit? I noticed there are a few articles that generally the best day to sell stocks is on Friday since Mondays tend to dip down more than any other day of the week. Are Mondays the best day to put lump sums into your portfolio since it's more likely to dip than any other days? Or does it not matter? Thanks for all your content, Jensen. I don't think it matters that much. I don't think this is something you should really pay a lot of time or attention to. If there's any type of big data showing that there's one day that's particularly good to buy on or sell on, the market would react by filling in that gap, which would void the advantage. So that's what would happen. A lot of people would recognize that there's an advantage with this specific day to buy or sell, and then they would react and fill in the gap and there'd be no more advantage. So I don't think that it's something that you should pay attention to. What you should be looking at is when a company you want to buy goes down a lot in value, that's the day that you should buy it. So that's the way that I handle it. Hi, Joseph. First off, I want to say that I love your content. Your in-depth analysis, updates, and explanations really help encourage me to stay the course with dividend growth investing. I, I appreciate you saying that. You say, I was curious to get your thoughts on being preemptive about certain stocks related to the coronavirus. I personally think it is being overblown, but I'm no doctor. 
However, I did notice that there seems to be a certain amount of people trying to take advantage of certain stocks, like 3M, because they manufacture face masks. Although I did not jump on the bandwagon because I think 3M still has some restructuring and economic slowing issues, I did buy into some shares of Medical Property Trust Treat. I figured there would likely be an influx of people going to the hospital to be treated or at least checked for this potential problem. I would love to know your thoughts on the strategy. Please keep making great content. Your Q&A always has a lot of value and is interesting to hear. Yeah, so I saw the same news that 3M is making a lot of face masks as a response to the coronavirus. Personally, again, my thesis is that the coronavirus is a very temporary thing. So I'm not going to invest in a company like 3M because they're manufacturing face masks as a response to it. Because I think it's a temporary thing. I think that when those orders are done and when this passes, 3M will be right back to where it was. So I don't have such a feeling of urgency to jump on the 3M bandwagon right now. I think that the company, like you point out, it does have substantial restructuring issues. And I think it's facing some challenges. So that's not a company I'm going to be putting a lot of money into right now. Now, you say it would be interesting to hear my strategy. Obviously, I highlighted a few companies that I've put a lot of money in over the past week. And those go specifically with what I think the current environment is. So those are all companies that I think are either at good value and the coronavirus is pushing their value down, which I think is temporary, like Disney, or the ones that are completely insulated, like I think AT&T is, and I think that Merck is. Those are two companies that I don't think will be hurt at all by the coronavirus. So I've tried to identify companies that I both think fit in with the current stresses in the market and have stable dividends, are companies that I would like to own even if they went down in value a lot more, ones that I can sleep well at night owning. So, so those are the three that I outlined. All right. Well, that's going to be all I'm going to do today. I appreciate everybody that subscribed to the channel, that likes the videos and shares them with other people. If you want to join the Discord channel, there's a link to the Patreon in the description. That helps support this channel as well. So I appreciate everybody that does that. Otherwise, I will check in with you guys this weekend.